things that promote flourishing in and out of prison are largely the same. Mutual support, mentors, and personal development. The principal question any person, incarcerated or not, needs to ask is who am I and how do I relate to the world around me? To answer this question highlights the need for community, education, and work as precursors to and components of human flourishing. Teresa Matheson began to answer the same question when she entered prison and decided to, quote, do the opposite of what she had done before. In her change process, she discovered a community of friends, a niche in education, and a passion for learning and helping others. Prison is a hard way to learn, but it can teach and even help people toward positive change, as Teresa's story shows. Teresa Matheson, thank you for joining us on Hardly Working. Well, thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. And we want to get into your life a little bit and your experiences and your association with the Prison Scholars Fund. So as a preliminary here, why don't you tell us about your story kind of chronologically? We'll get to that. But first, just start with where you are today and what you're doing. Okay. Well, I just climbed out of a tree due to um, me and a girlfriend of mine. Um, We were noticing that a lot of people um, left their fruit trees just uh, full and the the fruit rotted on the ground and there's a lot mm. of people and I live in a I live in Los Angeles so there's a lot of people in my neighborhood that really don't have food and they definitely don't get a lot of fresh food you know because mm-hmm. it's expensive so we were like hey I wonder if we could just go ask them if we could do them a service by taking all that fruit off their tree maybe cleaning up their yard a little bit and then we'll take the fruit and we'll donate it or we can give it or sell it to like local um restaurants that want to, um, you know, source local products and stuff. And so that's what we started doing. We just started with, um, we started on my block, went to the neighbor's house, asked, so on, so forth. So yeah, I just climbed out of a tree. That's what that I is, did. That, that, <laughs> is, that is so cool. Um, is it like mostly citrus trees or um, what is it? Citrus fruits and avocados mostly. Oh, mostly. okay. Well, yes. we have, we've, we've stopped all the avocado imports. So you probably have some I customers, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're doing some work for the state of California right now. Is that right? I am. I work for the California COVID Rental Relief Program. Basically, we pay people's rent. That's what we're doing. It's a grant mm. from um, through the COVID fund. You know, it's a nationwide fund. Every state has it in some capacity. And we're the people who do it for California. So if you are un- make under a certain amount of money and if you owe rent, we will pay your rent. So do you go around and find people? Or do oh, they no. come you, to we, you? We, you go online and you apply. Um, okay. And it's definitely don't need to find anybody because we have yeah. thousands and thousands of applications. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of need out there still, mm-hmm. isn't there? There sure is. And they just extended the program. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It makes me feel like I'm doing um, something good, even though I'm really, really processing applications all day long, all day long. But they pay me well, too. So there's two upsides to that. That's terrific. Um, yeah. So that's where you are now. You've got this job. Uh, it sounds like you probably started at the beginning of the pandemic. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So what we're, let's back up and let's hear the rest of your story. Um, what, From the beginning? What was going or, on? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was, yeah, absolutely. What was going wow, on in wow. your life before, uh, before COVID? Oh, before COVID, I was working for um, JVS SoCal. 
uh, for WorkSource. I headed a program called um, P2E, the Prison to Employment Program. Okay. Um, people getting out of prison, um, we'd get them jobs, um, and we had a big pot of money for um, resources to, you know, buy clothes, um, whatever really they need. The the grant wasn't very specific, so I kind of ran with it like I usually do with things. So mm-hmm. anything that would get you a job and keep you in a job, I would do for you. If I needed to fix your car, I would. If I needed to buy you clothes, I would. Depending on the person and what's going on, yeah. And um, that's what I did. And was that what? Did you say that was through the state, or was that? Yeah, a, that's uh, yeah, that's actually through through the state, through the county. And mm-hmm. um, I work for WorkSource. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with them. I've done a lot of uh, workforce. Yeah, JVS SoCal is a. a, a work source place. I see. I see. Okay. So you're working for the workforce investment system. That's very interesting. So you were helping prisoners and you know something about what that's like. I do. Why, don't you, why don't you tell us about that part of your story? I do. Okay. Well, way back when <laughs> my daughter was hurt by somebody and I went to prison for, for his murder. And I did 11 years at the Washington correction center for women. So um, that's how I got there. Um, now, while I was there, there's a whole nother story to that one. Um, I, uh, I learned a lot in prison. So um, anybody who says prison is useless, useless I wouldn't mm. say it's useless. It's not very useful in the capacity it is now. You know, you get what I'm saying there? So, um, or should I clarify? No, you should. Cl- yeah, please clarify. Uh, people who have traumatic events in their lives or people who um, have these problems in their lives, and, and especially... Um, women, I would say, because that's the, what I know, um, they, they need community more than they need to be um, set outside of community. So um, when you include somebody in your, into your community and they become part of your community, they start to ascribe to the values and the norms that are in your, in your community, right? And they start to care. Nobody wants to um, mess up their own backyard, right? So, um, but when you push people to the outside of society, then it's it's a close step to start preying upon that society because you're not part of it. Right. Right. And right. you see every, and everybody has, and you're a, a not have, you know? So, um, and there's a lot of barriers and a lot of blocks that are put in people's way. Once they get into the system to keep them into the system, it's hard. It's hard when you get in trouble to get out of trouble. You have fines. If you don't pay the, if you're poor and you don't pay your fines, then you go back to jail and it's just eventually that'll lead you to prison. So there's that. There's my two cents on that mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. no, that's an extremely important point. Yeah. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, if you're not, if you're not in the tent, uh, taking part in society uh, yeah. and benefiting from it, there is a tremendous temptation to become, you know, enemies with yeah. With society. And I would say, I would say, in some instances, it's more than a temptation. If I'm sitting in my house and um, I'm a, I'm a young I'm a young kid, let's say I'm 14 years old, and um, my sister's hungry and my mom's who knows where waiting to sell me to uncle Joe. Right. Mm -hmm. And I look down and I see people and they're making quick money on the street, quick money. They're selling drugs or they're doing whatever on the street. Um, My 14 year old mind is going to say, that's the way to do it. And Mm -hmm. even maybe even my 20 year old mind, maybe even my 30 year old mind is pushed to that point that that's all that's, the only resource I can see. Sure, I can't. Sure. Yeah. Education is, is a no, no brainer. They don't give, you know, I went to a high school that they didn't have enough textbooks or seats for kids. Mm. It just so happened that I was smart. So. And was that also in Southern California? It sure was. Yeah, it sure was right where okay. I'm at right now. So you committed this crime, very sad situation. 
did you have a trial or did you just plead oh, guilty? Oh, and, I pled guilty um, the day before my trial. Okay. Yeah, so, and you, how long, uh, what was your original sentence? Oh, my original, my original sentence or my, my original charge? Sentence. Oh, yeah. oh uh, my original sentence was 14 years. Yeah. And so I did 11 on 14. It's a long time. It is. Yeah. yeah so you, time. which uh, were you mainly in one facility that whole time? Um, Washington. Get... Yeah. Washington State um, has only one facility for women. One. Okay. Yeah. At so. Washington State. Washington in... State. Yes. Okay. Washington State. Okay. Um, so you're up in Washington State. You mm -hmm. get sentenced. You're there mm -hmm. for 11 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me about your prison experience. What was that? Uh, well, um, I, I remember rolling into the gates and I thought, well, whatever I did before, I'm going to do the complete opposite. That was, mm. I, was, I rolled on that for a while. Um, I remember I was sitting at the table and I met some phenomenal women in prison. Mm. You wouldn't even believe it. Phenomenal. Um, that really changed my life. You know, mm. um, I was sitting at the table, one lady in particular, Jackie, she, um, I was complaining about something and, and I remember she just slammed her coffee. Oh, sorry. She just slammed her coffee table, her coffee cup down on the table and was like, hey, she said, I'm so tired of your shit. And I'm so tired of listening to your effing mouth. OK, mm. she said, look, I don't know what the hell you think your problem is. You ain't got no time to do. She's like, I got life without. Why don't you grow mm. where you're planted and walked off? And I was like, what? But that thing right there, grow where you're planted to do what wow. you can with what you have right. right then. Yeah. So, and she, she was great from her. We started facilitating. We did all kinds of stuff in prison and then she got out on clemency. So that'll tell you there's one up, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great woman. Great woman. Anyways. um, So from that um, there was a, uh, after eight years, it took me eight years to get into the mental health uh, building so I could get some counseling without drugs. Cause um, that's one thing I was not going to take drugs. I had been on drugs, didn't want to do it again. So after eight years, my name finally popped up on the list and they called me in to have a counselor and my counselor, we had counseling, whatever, you know, helped me a lot. Um, he came to me one day and he said, look, Tracy, I want you to gather um, all the people that he said, the top dogs, the front runners, mm -hmm. whoever's, mm -hmm. whoever's mm -hmm. running the show. I want to talk to him. I said, all right. So, cause you know, I trusted him. He sat us down and he said, look, all you ladies right here, you have not only survived here, but you've learned how to thrive here. Mm. I want to know what it is that hmm. makes you successful at what you're doing. What is this? And can we take it and package it and bottle it and give it to the rest of the women here? Mm. Hmm. And so that's what we we basically did. We started we started an organizational structure. We first we started like, what is this? What what is yeah, what's, what, what is do? the yeah. what is the stuff like, we want to put in the moxie? bottle? You know, yeah. like it's some kind of moxie. Can we take it? How could we? How did we get it? And how could we give it to somebody else? And so we started the women's village, and um, that was a grassroots um, experiment and community building. Can we build a community inside this place? You know, and um, we we took all the things that worked for us, all the things that didn't work for us. We just so happened like all the stars aligned, Providence, whatever you want to call it. We had an associate superintendent at that time that was totally behind us. We each had a passion and each one of us had a passion for something different. And we had a fortitude. We used the, the things that had hurt us in the past to push us forward. Each mm. one of us had a, a crazy tenacity. And so we realized if we could get these women to um, to find their passion, 
you know, if you could find your passion. And but we had to go way back before that. A lot of the women were, you know, they had were getting violent. They were um, getting in trouble. And we were like, oh, what what keeps us from going down that road? Because you any it's easy to go down that road. And we thought, oh, well, because we had this 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 small group of people. We had our people. We called them right. Um, and we all. I guess I don't know. We all had some kind of pull within the community. I don't. I don't know what, how you would call that. I don't want to start using a bunch of prison lingo on you, but really, you know, we did. Um, you were worked, respected members of the prison community, and we had some kind of um, responsibility mm. for from the prison too. So I worked in the school. I worked in the education department for um, the post secondary programs there. Um, my friend Tanya. Uh, she worked in the gym, which is our gym was huge. So she worked there. Um, and she also worked for um, college text on tape, transcribing textbooks onto tape for disabled students. Mm. And then we had one that was into sustainability. And she started a whole sustainability program at um, Washington Correction Center for Women. So each one of us had this different niche that we were interested in. And your niche was education. And mine was education. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what we did was we realized that because we had the same values and because we wanted the same, maybe not the same exact thing, but we wanted the same thing, um, that we were successful in that way, that we could lean on each other, that we could take advice from each other, that, that we could work for each other, you know, and um, we basically bottled that, this, this sense of community. And um, so let me ask you a question about that, though. I mean, was sure. this something new for you, uh, having this idea that there were people that you, you know, could give to, but were also responsible to? Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. No matter what anybody says, you do your time alone. There's lots of people around you, but you're the lone. You have to look out for yourself. No one else looks out for you. Mm. You know, it's a it's a I am the one person. I don't know how it is in the men's prison, but I know how it is, is in the women's prison. And and really, that's how it is in like in Los Angeles, where I live. That's pretty much how it is, too. It, it's a very um, I am the one society. So you're looking out for yourself and you're. You know, you're pushing ahead instead of maybe pausing and looking around you and um, welcoming somebody else into your space to share the burden. Um, mm -hmm. You're taking the burden and then you're all out, all only out for number one. So. Yeah, I really think that that's kind of like uh, it's such a human thing. Right. Um, and and if it, it, it a human need and if it's not met in a positive way, it gets met in a negative way. Sure. Right. You know, you that in the men's prisons, maybe it's gangs that fill that role of, you know, um, giving you somebody else to who's going to watch your back, who's going to help protect you in a in a difficult and sometimes dangerous environment yeah so but you you guys managed to like turn that around and say no it's not necessary we can we can do something positive here it's not yeah. just about self-protection yeah well and not only that but we we found out that um everybody wants probably about the same things in life they want to be mm. loved and accepted mm. you know and it's just really what links you will go to and what you will do to to get that you know, they want the basic Maslow's hierarchy, right? You want food, whatever. But really, they want to be loved and accepted and they want to belong. And people do all kinds of weird stuff to get that. But so what we what we did was um, I had been writing letters anyways um, on my typewriter, tink, 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 um, to people, please come teach us. And some people came from Tanya Erdson, came from um, the from UW, University of Washington. And Mr. Smithers came from UPS. And 
Miss Glinda came from, uh, I believe she came from Evergreen. I believe she came, yeah. Anyway, so they came in and they started teaching us non-accredited classes, volunteered, teach us. And they were like, hey, you guys are really great. You know, you guys are, you guys are very attentive. You know, you're getting good grades. Let's see what we can do. And so from that started the Freedom Education Project of Puget Sound. They started mm. bringing post-secondary education in for the women. Um, totally volunteer driven, totally um, uh, donation driven. And they got accredited AA degrees from that. So, uh, yeah, and that was before, you know, FAFSA was allowed. You can get FAFSA and go to prison. That's why I did the Prison Scholar Fund. So, yeah. So how did you get connected with PSF? Well, there was just a flyer. There was a flyer on the um, wall. And I had been told I was too smart to go to school. Cause, okay, so what is that? Now, what does I that mean? You, you, they give you a test. <laughs> and who and told like, you that? <laughs> I know, they, I know, really. I was like, they lied. Um, yeah, so they give you a test, and if you score over a certain amount on this test, then you don't need education per se. So uh, the education that they offer, anyway. I see. So, and I was like, wow. So I just started taking everything, every little class. They, AA, I took Toastmasters. Let me tell you, best thing ever in the whole world mm, was Toastmasters. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I took all these classes and I seen one for the Prison Scholar Fund and I applied. Me and my friend Tosh, we applied and got denied quickly. First mm. off, got denied. And I was like, what in the world? Because Mr. Van Velzen um, was like, uh-uh, your guys' writing is too close. To, and we had written our own, right? But he said it's too close to each other. You guys, there's some kind of funky business going on. And so we each wrote him back an essay scathing essay (laughs) (laughs) telling him about himself because the truth is is that me and Todd had been writing partners for a while we started Uh, out we i met her in county jail smart and she's the smartest person ever known knew or known have known no now no now we'll say again smartest person i know and um she and i just started writing together she has a very lyrical style and i'm super direct and pithy so we worked well writing and so our styles had kind of meshed and we didn't know and yep, from that, we started going to college on my typewriter. So he said, Dirk said no. And then you wrote him back and said, and who did. do you think you are? And, <laughs> and here's who we really are. And and so on the second pass, he said, yes. Yes, he did. That's great. Yes, he did. Um, and uh so you, what, what did you do? Where did you go to school as it were? Um, I, I think at that time, I think at that time I was going to Ohio state correspondence. Wow. And then I went to Louisiana state correspondence from there. And then by that time, the, another phenomenal person I met, um, Ms. Tolpa, she had come to the prison to work and um, she was going out and getting post-secondary education grants. And I started, I remember I was working for um, college checks on tape transcribing. And she said, Tracy, come work for me. You come work for me. I'll pay you such and such, which was like, I think two or three dollars an hour, which was high money in there. <laughs> Let me mm-hmm, do high money mm-hmm. in there. So I'll pay you this great wage, and um, you'll also get to earn a scholarship. And so then I got two scholarships from Students in Service. So from that. And what did you major in? What were your um, studies? Human services. I started out in human services. And let me tell you, if I would have known what I knew now mm. about that, I would not have done that because, it, no, maybe not. It was a lot of academic time wasted. I, I don't know about personal time. So it was a lot of, because it was, uh, it doesn't transfer well to mm-hmm. universities. And I knew, I knew that I was going to go to college. Mm. And no matter what anybody said, I knew some of the university would let me in. So, um, and they did. So, you yeah. know. 
anyways. So that, you mean after you got out? Yeah, after yeah. I got out. Okay. Yeah. So you, you you studied at Ohio, uh, Human Services at Ohio State in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. Then yeah. through Tacoma Community College. Uh-huh. Still, then, still in human services. Yes, yeah, still in human services. And let me tell you, though, while I went to, uh, while I was in prison, I did all kinds of any education program they let me in. Mm-hmm. I did, and they mm-hmm. had a cosmetology program there. I took cosmetology because I knew I had to eat while I went to college when I got out, mm-hmm. and um, actually turned out to be re- a really good um, stylist. So when I got out, that's the first job I got: styling hair, doing hair, and then um, went to college, work full time, and went to college full time. And what did you, when you were in your post or incarceration college, was that, what did you, what were you studying at that point? Um, oh, college psychology. I psychology. Have a mm. Yes, I have a degree in psychology, a minor in nonprofit management. It's interesting. Why did you choose psychology? Because it's such a wide, because I want to help people, really. Mm. I want to help people. And, and it's such a wide field that I'm um, going for my master's. Um, then that's when I can narrow it down to more. And I figured by that time, which I'm, approaching this time now, I would have enough life experience that I would kind of know where I wanted to go. And psychology was wide open. And I'm, I don't, I'm smart. Don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. I am smart, but I really don't want to deal with numbers. I don't want to deal with business in, in as anything more than it has to do with my business. Right. Even though I do wish I would have took some some business courses because I'm slogging my way through all these different policies and um fees and whatever taxes and all that stuff now starting a business but it's a learning curve right <laughs> right 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 yeah. so uh you, you had the the i want to go back to the women's sure. village for a second mm-hmm. so you've yep. got these people kind of working in different mm-hmm. areas of sure. interest for them and you're in education mm-hmm. other people are doing yeah. other things how did how did you direct that out into the community inside okay. the prison okay so um it's we had what we called them sub councils. So each sub council had a different um, um, flavor to it. So one was um, parenting, one was, you know, uh, violence reduction, one was the sustainability, there was education. So we had these different sub councils. Each one of us, it was our passion, right? So, and mm-hmm. then volunteers, we would solicit volunteers from the community to come help us in those areas. So, um, so you built a little team for yourself. We should, yeah, we yeah. did with team and then and we built a whole organizational structure to uh, mm-hmm. the whole thing. That was a requirement from the institution that we really put everything down on paper. So I learned a lot about um working things within the parameters of a large bureaucratic mm-hmm. institution, you know. Yeah. So yeah, to to build something inside that. So we did that. But to bring it to the women, um we had a set of values and we told them, hey, this is how it goes. You can ascribe to these values. You can take, we had a certain um, classes that they, we wanted them to take. You take these self-health classes. Um, you come and you come to a couple workshops of ours and you can join the Women's Village. And the perks of the Women's Village are, we had our own library. We um, had our own events when inside the prison. Like we had our own um, family events. We had things that we sponsored and there were certain things that only the Women's Village could get. We had people um, come in. We had like Brandy Carlisle came in through the um, through the IF project um, and through us. You got like the A ticket to get into these things, right? So, um, and we went Ta went into um, into segregation and told these ladies, hey, the ones that were on ad seg there for a long time, you know, spoke with them and said, look, 
What if I told you we could get you out of ADSEG? What if I told you that if you came and you worked in the garden all day long, now you have to go and you have to work in the garden, we can get you out of segregation. And if you stay out of segregation, if you don't get in any more trouble, then we'll let you in the women's village and you can pop up to the, to medium custody, which is, it probably would have took them years to get that far, you know? And right. uh, yeah, and some women, some women are like, get out, you know, give us the finger and like booty yeah. weirdo, weirdos. You guys are crazy. Right. And, um, and a couple did take us up on it because this this we know you work hard all day. You physically work hard all day. Chances are you ain't putting your hands on anybody. You're going to go and crawl into your bunk and go to sleep. That's right. the first thing to get somebody because there's a when you're in that fight mentality and you have that that toughness, you know, um, you that's your first instinct is to fight. And it takes a long time to learn that there's strength and vulnerability. Yeah. You know, it takes a long time to learn that. So, um, yeah, we just gave them a, a one up on it. So, so when you, you talked about, you know, some people would take you up on it and others would kind of blow you off. What do you think is the difference between those two groups of people? If they, uh, I I wouldn't even put them in groups of people. I would say one, if they had a connection with us before, Mm. like if they knew us and they liked us or respected us or whatever, that would have, that would have an influence. Definitely. Mm. Um, it would be their background. It would be that whole veil of everything that that they, their mm-hmm. whole experience is that anybody who goes to make a decision has to look through. So, depending on what their background was, it could be it could be who went and talked to them. Taz, a black woman, and I'm not. You know, it could that could be that could influence. They could like black people or not. They could say, "Oh, yo, why do you get out?" You know, whatever, mm-hmm. or vice versa. So, um, it could be a lot of things. I think that I don't know providence. Their yeah. time at that, it, it was right for them at that time. Something, you know, clicked in their head. You can, I don't think we could ever say what it was, you know, you really can't. Yeah. I, I, I think about this question a lot in terms of the research that I do and like trying to figure out like, what is it that causes the switch to, to flip and people to, to suddenly sort of recognize that there's an opportunity to be, ta- to be had. But in order to have it, I have to I have to be putting something in. I have to be willing to change. And I think that is different for everybody, um, you know, in terms of of what when that moment arrives and what the driver is, you know, like what is the thing that that brings somebody along? And you can't tell by looking from the outside. You know, you can't really you, you don't know looking at somebody from the outside what it might be. You don't. I think that um, that's a really internal, intrinsic thing yeah. that that the process that goes on in somebody. I think that um, I think it'll be a different combination for all people. But I think the basic elements mm-hmm. that go into it are probably about the same. It's just in what combination and in what timing, you know. So I know that um, sometimes when you go on in life, you just need to stop. Because you because you're not looking, you're going forward. You're not looking at anything around you. You and you're not thinking forward. You're not thinking mm-hmm. of the future. You mm-hmm. know, you're mm-hmm. just blindly going through life. Right. Um, sometimes a person just needs to stop. Skirt. Stop. Yeah. And once you stop, I'd say that this that's the biggest thing that, mm. that my best thing that happened to me was I had quiet time. I had mm. time to get to know myself. And people don't have that nowadays. You're going on with your life. You don't stop and reflect. You know. Right. And I had and. 
Um, I remember I had a really good dad and my dad told mm. me, Tracy, you can lie to me. You can lie to anybody you want in this in this world. And it meant nothing may happen f- from it. You know, he goes, but don't ever lie to yourself. Mm-hmm. You start lying to yourself. You become neurotic. You will go crazy. He goes, nothing ever comes good. He goes, always tell yourself the truth, good or bad. And I was like, OK, you know, so those lo- those lonely nights in prison. Mm, things come to you. And, oh yeah. yeah. I will. And things come to you. You remember things, you know, and you're, you're um, ruminating on things. And, and I remember a lot of things just, and I just, and so you look at yourself and you're like, dang, <laughs> dang, yeah. I did that or dang, I'm that kind of person. And then I realized that you, anybody can change, you know, you go in your whole life um, and people like, I do an exercise for their, um, for the workshop that, it's called a bucket. So you're a bucket, right? Everybody in your whole life throws stuff in your bucket. Your mom throws stuff mm-hmm. in it. People walking down the street, your teacher, whatever you throw mm-hmm. stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Every person and, you encounter. Is yeah. Putting something yeah in your they're, they're throwing yeah. stuff in that bucket. I remember I was a little kid and I had a bucket. We go to the beach, right? And I throw all kinds of stuff in the bucket. And then we come home and I put it on the front porch and it would bake in the hot sun until my mom would be like, look, you take that stinky bucket or I'm throwing it out, right? You do something with it, I'm throwing it out. So I get the hose and I go out on the yard and I would take everything out one by one, rinse it off, all the little shells, the rocks, whatever. I was a little kid, you know? And um, at the bottom of my bucket one time, I found a diamond. And I'm not hmm. even kidding, a diamond. I remember rolling to my oh mom. My, my mom's like, yeah, don't think she didn't sell it real quick. <laughs> so <laughs> she was like, oh, yes. Ew, I'll take care rent. of that it's for the you. Rent. Yes, it's the rent. So, um, but I remember that. So the deal is anytime in your life, if you stop, you can take things out and look at it. Is this mine? Mm. Where did this mm-hmm. come from? Do I even believe it's true? Mm. Am I ugly? Am I smart? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, do I believe that? Um, do I believe black people are useless? Do I believe that the government's evil? Do I what is this stuff that's inside mm-hmm. me and that, you know, that I'm using to generate my thoughts and my decisions? Is it even true? Where did it come from? Is it true? And do I want it? Mm-hmm. Because if I don't want it, I can throw it out and I can take something else on. So you can decide who you are, who you want to be any time in your life. You can do this. That's why um, a lot of women told me, oh, I'm too old to change. I'm too, I'm like, you know what? You're too lazy to change. That's what that is. <laughs> you know, so it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of heartache because it mm-hmm. sucks to look at yourself and think I'm just a crappy human being. Mm-hmm. How did I get to be this way? And do I want to be this way? Because I don't believe that um, people are born crappy. It's that doesn't happen. There no little baby ever came out and everybody yeah. looked at him and said that one. Yeah, that one's going to that one's marked for prison. Yeah, we want that one. That's where that one needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. That's that is really a beautiful um analogy, you know. Yeah. And clearly the product of a lot of thought. I remember Dirk, when I first got to know him, he talked about kind of a similar experience of, you know, in prison. And for the first like 18 months, he would sit in his cell and think about how he could have committed his last crime (laughs) in a way that he wouldn't have gotten caught, you know. And uh, and then he finally, after 18 months, said, wait a second, how did I how did I get here? You know, what what was the beyond that? Go back, go back further. Mm -hmm. What is it? You know, and uh, that's really interesting, you know, that you're talking about the self-reflective process. That kind of brings you to that decision that you want something different, and that you and yeah. that you can you can be something different. Um, I'm I'm just I'm really fascinated by that, I, and I'd love to hear from you. Like how how can we 
to help more people have that experience? Well, I'm going to um, say that, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to start educating people. That would be the very, very first thing. When I started, um, now look, I'm a smart girl. I went to a gifted class, went to a gifted school when I was young. Um, but I didn't really know how the world worked. <clears throat> I didn't know how I I fit into the world. I didn't know um, what community was. I didn't I didn't know all these things. And um, I think that's that's where it's going to have to start. We're going to have to build a community around people and really reach out for each other and start educating our kids. Intent, kids should know that they need to self-reflect. Kids should be taught how to self-reflect. That should be just a normal process, like their ABCs. We need some kind of self-work thing going on in our schools. But um, prisoners, as far as once you get to prison, education would be the number one thing that will help them. Once you start learning, your mind, boom, opens up. And um, you see the possibilities of of not just short-sighted, what can I do? You see other ways to survive. That, that depends a lot on personal motivation. So how do you deal with that? You know, like people saying, I mean, they have to be like you, you know, like, I want this. Um, yeah. So what's the, what do you, any ideas on? Well, I mean, we're talking about changing the prison structure. We have yeah. a punitive, yeah, we have a punitive, you know, deal here. But if you look at other countries where they have a more rehabilitative take on it, um, they don't have the recidivism that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have those those kind of things going on. Like, how could you change the world? Um, I would say 80, <laughs> well, 80, 80, 80. Look, and then listen, I can change the world. So don't don't let me sound like a defeatist because I believe and I don't yeah. care if anybody says I'm crazy. I believe I can change the world, whether it's just right around me whatever. I'm going to change the world. So um, I think that it starts with you when you're, when you're a child, you know, when it all starts back when you're a child, but um, if you want to mitigate it now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, one idea I've toyed with, and I just want to get your opinion on this Uh is um, I, I think that the way prisons sometimes approach education, (laughs) uh, I mean, obviously, there's not enough. uh, There's not enough resource there to begin with. Right. But the way that, you know, you get channeled into certain kinds of education, I think for men's prisons, I think it's just like everybody assumes that, you know, if you're in a men's prison, you're going to, you know, work in the metal shop or, you know, some sort of thing, you know, that doesn't uh, that may or may not align to uh, an individual interest. Yeah. And so, like. My idea is like, just as an experiment, I'd love to see a prison in which the zone was just flooded with different kinds of opportunities to learn so that people could grab onto the one that they find interesting. You know, like I'm I'm interested in getting a four year degree. Well, we've got the prison scholar fund over here and, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do that. Or, you know, I'm really interested in uh, audio production. Well, we've got, you know, Mm -hmm. a community college that come in and teach audio production, whatever it is, you know, um, but mainly as a way of just sort of figuring out who's motivated to change. What do you think yeah. of that? I think that um, I think that's a great idea. Um, and that's kind of what the Women's Village did. I wish we had that kind of power that we could bring in those kind of programs as an education. We could bring in all the volunteers we wanted and believe mm-hmm. that we did. We had all kinds of stuff going on with volunteer driven. But something that was accredited, that would be excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. to Everybody would find their passion. Right. Everybody would, you know. 
And I think they do that in Norway. They only go a certain amount in school until they, you know, are funneled into this or that. But their tax structure is different. You know, if you you pay the same amount of taxes as you do if you're a garbage man and they have the happiest garbage men in the whole world, you know, because they want to be garbage men. That's what they wanted to do. You know, that's what their thing was. So, yeah, I think that's a great idea if you could do it. Um, You would have to go farther than that, though. The whole prison education system is is a joke. Pretty much it is. It really is. You can get your GD, but only if you progress fast enough or else they'll kick you out. Um, And if you're going to go any farther than that, it's these generic, um, not even transferable classes that you go take. And with that, if you're going to take college, go outside the sphere and take college, then they're not letting your textbooks in. They're hijacking your, um, they're tossing your room and taking your educational materials. There's a definite pushback from um, officers and, and all that going on. They'll take your pencils for goodness sake, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I got my room tossed every single week. I remember oh, the um, they, one officer brought me my uh, midterm and said, look, I found this under so-and-so's desk. She'd been thrown away my midterms and stuff. I had been having to get extension after extension, you know? Things like that to deal with. There's enough, there's enough obstacles against somebody personally and environmentally without the prison being on you too, trying to better yourself and get an education. Because I'm going to tell you, the reason I started writing letters is because they cut every single program in our prison. There was nothing to do. Mm. So I went from this place that was, when I walked in, I was like, wow, this isn't bad. I could probably do this, right? You know, there was trees and flowers. You had your own clothes, whatever. Um, And there was classes and stuff you could take. To, they took that all away, cut all the classes. Um, it was just ridiculous, ridiculous. I can only imagine the things it does to men because when you're put in a situation to act like an animal mm-hmm. and program like that, um, most people don't have the wherewithal like Dirk did or I did, right? Most people, they're in survival mode. Yeah. When they hit prison, they're, they're just trying to live. That's all they're trying to do. So prison just perpetuates that mentality. And, and if you're not in that mentality, they try to push you towards it. I'm going to tell you. So um, to step outside of that and um, to try to be to try to be a a, an aware, awake, you know, awake individual, if you know what I mean by that, to to really be awake, to know that um, to know that the 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 shadows on the wall aren't really the real world, you know, as Plato talked about, to know that most of the world right now isn't awake. But to be that and to be in prison. You should have heard this kind of things, this, the things they said to me, you know, the things they said to my girlfriends. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be done. But the first one is we have to start educating people and not just education in the book sense, but we mm-hmm. really need to start educating people on how to change the freedom. The um, It's called the Freedom Project. That's where Ta works right now. Um, they're based on the nonviolent communication method, right? And so they came into the prison and, and worked with us. But to teach people that sort of thing, to teach them that um, there's a different way to communicate, there's a different way to react, to teach them to separate their thoughts from their feelings, those kind of things, because they don't know. They're good. They're just going from one fight to another to a night, you know, one survival to another. To, you know, that's how they're going uh, their whole life. Yeah. People, yeah. yeah, people who have been exposed to a lot of trauma. That's just what happens. Yeah, they, and imagine just... that you fight or you die, and mm-hmm. from a young age, you know, you learn that. Um, and you learn not to trust people. You know, mm-hmm. you learn not to trust men. As a woman, you learn not to trust men. You need to learn not to trust family. You learn that at a young age. And so, you know, when you're rolling on that, yeah, it's a sad, sad way. I, gosh, 
prison, the whole prison situation makes me sad. But let me tell you, there are some women in there that some women that I thought, oh, I can't believe you're in prison. And others, I was like, well, maybe you should be here for a while. It's interesting. I think this is a fairly common theme for people who like have this transformative experience when they're in prison is like they wouldn't wish to be in prison. But on the other hand, it played this incredibly important role in them sort of waking up, as you said, and and recognize that the, the shadows on the wall are not reality. That's a hard way to learn that. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's better than not to have learned it. Yes, it is. So, all right. Well, Teresa, this has been great. Thank you so much yeah, for your you're time. Welcome. I really appreciate it. You're a great interview. Well, thanks. And and someday uh, you'll get to interview me when I'm an important person. <laughs> <laughs> you're already an important person. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep doing what you're doing. And I, I look forward to talking with you again okay. sometime. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Hardly Working. I'm your host, Brent Orell, and I hope you tune in next time to learn more about the state of workforce development in America. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. Let us know at vocation at AEI.org if there are any topics you'd like us to cover. As always, we hope you find the job that fits so well, it feels like you're hardly working. <laughs>